I people watch. Anybody with me? I love to go places and just sit there and see who's there and what they're up to, up to and I imagine the realities of their lives. If, if my life had a theme song, Jack Johnson may have written the chorus. I'll let you listen to it. It's pretty great. It's from the Curious George album, which also ought to say something about me. Well, I'm just people watching the other people watching me. And we're all people watching the other people watching we. People watching, that's what I do. I do it on social media too. I actually, I haven't posted anything in like seven years. I just hop online and I scroll to see what people are up to, what they're doing. I love to look people in the eyes and see the brightness of their spirit and wonder, where does that joy come from? Or sometimes the determined brow and I'm wondering, what's, what's on your shoulders? Or sometimes even the forlorn look of despair and I think to myself, that's gotta be heavy, people watching. This past Wednesday, I was bringing the two middles to school. How is it that those school starts at the same time every day? We can have the same argument every morning about being late for school. It happens all the time. So we're in a hurry and I'm kind of frustrated by my kids being late all the time. So we're, and I'm, then I start to think to myself, I have sort of this out-of-body experience. I start to think to myself, what's it like to have to be a kid whose dad is always worried about being late for school as if their lives are hanging in the balance, but we're late anyway, so we hop in the car. We're going to take the fast route to school this time. I see off in the distance the blinking red lights of a bus with its stop sign extended, demanding attention, figuring to myself, by the time I get up to that bus, we're going to be fine. The, the lights will have faded and the arm will have gone inside and everything will be fine. But boy, was I wrong. Got up to that bus, the lights still blinking, the arm still extended. The door opened and a motorized wheelchair descended off to my left, I could see a mom coming out of her house with her pajama pants on. It was a warm day. It was like 34, so warm here in West Michigan. So the snow was melting and the, the, the driveway was sloppy and sloshy. And this mom's carrying her precious little one in her pajama pants. She walks the little one over to the bus, places him in the wheelchair. The bus driver with her mask hanging down below her chin straps the child into the wheelchair, the, 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 the motorized wheelchair rises into the bus and vanishes down the aisle. And I'm watching the mom walk back to the house. I'm thinking to myself, she must be so tired. Maybe she'll get to go back to bed. And the bus driver, I don't know, I'm making stuff up. I'm thinking she's probably working two jobs and this one's real early in the morning just so she can pay the bills and she's got a mask hanging below her chin. She's just looking for a little oxygen in life. And that little guy on the wheelchair, maybe, maybe he's on the bus with his friends and this is the best part of the day or maybe, maybe he's confronted by his limitations again and the frustrations that come with it. People watching. But we were still late for school, so the, 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 the lights faded and we darted off. And I get into, we weren't the only ones late for school that day. I get into the drop off line, and some guy with a University of Michigan license plate cuts me off. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to root for Michigan again. And what's his big hurry anyway? And I say goodbye to my kids. They're only three minutes late, but I'm all kinds of agitated and uptight. And I'm wondering about myself why are you in such a hurry? It's, I don't know, if you've ever people watched, it just seems to me like we're all looking and longing and searching and clamoring for something more. Longing to be satisfied, wishing, hoping, wanting to be satisfied. And sometimes we catch glimpses of it, but most of the time 
We're just in a hurry. Apparently, I read an article this week, apparently auto deaths are dramatically up this year for the first time in like 70 years since before World War II. And and the article made the assessment people are carrying a deep frustration and it leads to reckless driving. If you don't mind a metaphor, it's like we're thirsty. Auto deaths are up because we're thirsty. And you've heard of the, the second pandemic as if we needed another one. Not the virus this time, but the mental health crisis crashing on our communities. Thirsty. Longing for a cup of cold water. There's a book published about 10 years ago by a psychologist titled The Trauma of Everyday Life. Thirsty. Just watch people sometime. You'll see it. Just stop for a moment and notice you'll see thirsty. So I have a story for you. It's a true story. It's a good story. It's a Bible story from the Gospel of John. We're on our way with John. Listen carefully and listen well. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink, as the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. He was speaking of the Spirit, whom believers were to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Christ had not yet been glorified. When the crowd heard it, some said, this really is the prophet. But others said he's the Messiah. And others said, the Messiah can't come from Galilee, can he? Don't the scriptures say the Messiah is to be descended from David and come from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was division in the crowd because of him. And some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The temple police went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they asked them, Why did you not arrest him? But they said, never has anyone spoken like this. And they said to them, have you not been deceived too, have you? No one of the authorities or the Pharisees have believed in him. Yet this crowd that does not study the law, they're accursed. But Nicodemus, who had gone before to Jesus and was one of them, asked, our law before judging provides a hearing to see what the person is doing, doesn't it? And they said, you're not from Galilee too, are you? Search and you'll see no prophet is to arise from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 7, verses 37 through 52. What a story. You can feel the tension rising. You can feel the energy rising as we make our way to Jerusalem, to the cross, and to the grave, and to the moment that would change everything. For our purposes over the next few minutes, I want to zero in on chapter 7, verse 37 and verse 38. Jesus cries out, let anyone who's thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. He's making a statement, an announcement about who he is. And at the same time, announcing something that's true about you too. He's the living water. For all who are thirsty, 
For all who are longing and searching and clamoring and in such a hurry, he's the living water. And those who believe in him, who bend their knees and bow their heads in reverence to Christ, will become like rivers of water gushing up. Jesus makes this stunning announcement about who he is and at the same time, something so true of you. The scene is stunning, really. We enter the scene with these words, on the last day of the festival. The festival was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths or Sukkot, depending on which name you prefer. It was one of the three major pilgrimage festivals every year. All Jewish men were required to come up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacle was the, the, the remembering of God's provision for his people after they had been delivered from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, but before they had reached the fullness of the promised land, they had been wandering in the wilderness, and God, out of God's heart of love, provided for his people in their wilderness wandering manna in the morning, bread in the morning, and water from the rock, and they built these little tabernacles, places of security from the wilds of the wilderness night and places of protection from the heat of the wilderness day. So every year for seven days, the people of God would gather in Jerusalem to remember what God had done for them and they'd sing and they'd dance and they'd pray and they'd worship and they'd feast. They knew how to throw a party. At the same time that they were remembering what God had done, they were also anticipating that great day of what God would do when finally everything would be made right and everything would be made new and everyone who was thirsty would have all they needed to drink. They had a dream that one day, a vision actually, an image that one day from deep underneath the temple, water would emerge and flow through all of Israel. It would even make the Dead Sea like living fresh water. They had a dream that one day the gardens would grow and everyone who had any need would have that need met. They were gathering for this Feast of Tabernacle not only to look back at what God had done, but to look forward to what God would do when finally everything would be made right. We don't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle, Feast of Booths, Sukkot, so much around here anymore, but we do know what it's like to be thirsty. We do know what it's like to look for another day, a better day, longing, searching, looking, hurrying, scurrying, clamoring for something more. We're just thirsty. I'm thinking of the tensions building between Russia and Ukraine as the world watches and they load weapons and another war is about to be launched. Thirsty. I'm thinking of the teenagers. So many adults think of them as little kids, but they're being inundated by the complex realities of of the world simply by the swipe of their finger. Thirsty. I'm thinking about racial tensions, maybe not boiling today, but always about to spill over. Thirsty. I'm thinking about the mom in the pajama pants just looking for a little rest and the, and the boy on the bus hoping for a better day and the, and the bus driver just looking for a little oxygen, thirsty. And whatever happened to just like, before all of the crisis management we've been up to for the last several years, whatever happened to just like a good old-fashioned hard life 
of marriage and parenting and work, and we've been thirsty for a long time. And it seems so relentless. It never seems to stop. We're just so thirsty. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, preached a sermon once in 1954. It's been published in a book titled Strength to Love. The sermon was titled A Knock at Midnight. It's midnight within the social order, he preached. The sermon was written on the back of somebody else's sermon, every preacher's dream. It's midnight within the social order. On the international horizon, nations are engaged in a colossal and bitter contest for supremacy. Two world wars have been fought within a generation, and the clouds of another war are dangerously low. Humankind now has atomic and nuclear weapons that could within seconds completely destroy the major cities of the world. Yet the arms race continues and nuclear tests will explode in the atmosphere with the grim prospect that the very air we breathe will be poisoned by radioactive fallout. Will these circumstances and weapons bring the annihilation of the human race? That was 1954. 65 years ago. They were thirsty then, we're thirsty still. We may not celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, but we know what it's like to look forward. We know what it's like to long for, to hope for, to wait for, to pursue, to hurry around and scurry about for something better. We're all so thirsty. It was the last day of the festival, John writes. The great day, he adds, the seven-day-long feast, the seven-day-long celebration of what God had done and what they were hoping God might still do culminated, like the, the closing ceremonies of the Olympics or something like that, culminated in a, in a worship service where the priest would pour the water all over the altar, a way of praying, begging, asking, longing for God to exact his purposes on earth to make all things new and to make all things right. And and everybody gathered around and the priest would pour the water and actually a little wine too, pour the water to remember the the hoped for day when the water would gush out of the temple and Jesus is standing there. That's what John says. While Jesus was standing there, he cried out. The priest is pouring the water and Jesus says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is making this stunning announcement about who he is. He's the living water. He's the one who's by his life, death, and resurrection, water will gush out over the whole world and the gardens will grow and the bus driver will breathe and the mom will rest and the little boy will walk and the anxious dad will calm down and the guy with the Michigan license plate will just settle down just a little bit. He's the one. Jesus Christ is the one we've been looking for, longing for, waiting for, hoping for. We're thirsty. He's water. He makes this stunning announcement about who he is. And then he makes this shocking claim about who we are. He says, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of your heart, you who spend time with Jesus, you who go the way of Jesus, you who follow Jesus, you who have been in relationship with Jesus, who have experienced his living water, out of your life will flow rivers of living water. You'll be so full, you'll fill so satisfied, you'll be satisfying. Spent time, spending time with Jesus translates into blessing for the world, goodness for the world. That's why we call it good news. Something beautiful for the world. Out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. 
And then something shocking happens. I don't know if you noticed. They hear this amazing announcement about who Jesus is and this amazing proclamation about who you are. And what do they do? They start to argue. They start to fight. They divide. Who would ever do that? Jesus has just said, I'm the one, and you get to be a part of it. And those in the crowd who heard it, some said, this really is the prophet. But others said, he's the Messiah. And others said, the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? And there was division in the crowd because of him. There was division in the crowd because of him. That would never happen now, would it? That would never happen again, would it? There was division in the crowd because of them. Each, what's ironic about their division, each of them was telling the truth. Each of them was saying something that was true. He is really the prophet. He is the Messiah. The Messiah does come from Bethlehem, but they were unable to see past their own rightness to the possibility that maybe someone else had something to offer too. They had reduced Christ himself from the breadth of who he is and the beauty of his person to their own categories. And so they reduced Christ into what they could manage and what they could control. And there was division in the crowd because of him. They could not imagine holding on to some truth that someone else might have something to offer to. And I just wonder sometimes if we're not doing the same thing still. If the toxic, polarized culture we live in that infects the church too, if we're holding on to our little corner of the truth and unable to see the beauty of what someone else has to offer, he really is the prophet. He is the Messiah. The Messiah does come from Bethlehem. So maybe you've heard this summer, I'm going to head on sabbatical, 19, 20 years of pastoral ministry. I'm pretty excited about this. So grateful to the Pillar community for allowing me this space and even celebrating with me and my family for this opportunity. We'll be, it'll be kind of a free-flowing sabbatical, May 15 to August 15. We'll be taking trips there and making stops over here. I'll be doing plenty of reading, too, time with my family. The theme I'm giving myself, or whatever that's worth, the theme I'm giving myself for the sabbatical is listening. And the conviction that stands behind the theme, the orientation, the necessary orientation for a missionary congregation, and if you're wondering, I think every church is a missionary congregation, not a distributor of religious goods and services, but rather a sign, instrument, and foretaste of what God wants to do in the redeeming work of Christ's life for the whole life of the world, a missionary congregation. The, the necessary orientation of a missionary congregation will be humility, and a primary practice will be listening. I'm borrowing from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book titled Life Together, who puts it like this. The first service that one owes to others in fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love of God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for others is learning to listen to them. Christians, and I love this, especially ministers, so often think they must always contribute something when they're in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians. 
because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. So you'll probably get updates about my sabbatical along the way, and certainly I'll tell you more stories than you'll ever want to hear when I get back. The point here, the point now, can we listen? Will we listen? Can we who have the capacity to see something beautiful about Christ, who Christ is in the gospel, can we also listen to the possibility that someone else might have something to offer? He really is the, he really is the prophet. He really is the Messiah. The Messiah does come from Bethlehem. Of course, the church will have to do more than listen, but can we at least listen? Out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Those who follow Jesus are meant to be a blessing to the world, are meant to be goodness for the world, are meant to be the cup of cold water the thirsty world longs to drink. I'm thinking about the Muslim family from Afghanistan who just was resettled here in West Michigan, their little girl standing at the bus stop in Michigan in the pre-dawn darkness in 20-degree temperatures, not cold because some pillar parent offered hand-me-down winter clothes for that little one because out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. I'm thinking of the, co- the insecure college student who runs up to the insecure high school student on a Sunday morning here at Pillar and gives him a big, huge bear hug because out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. I'm thinking of the the teenager who's got his own aches and idiosyncrasies but still has the capacity to head off to school and, and, and encourage the one no one wants to talk to and no one wants to be with because out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Shall I go on? I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the p- pillar person who gives hours every week caring for a young one through Kids Hope Ministries. And if you want to influence the lives of a young one in our community, Kids Hope is the way because out of believers' hearts will flow rivers of living water. I'm thinking of how many people from Pillar volunteer at Community Action House because there's others in our community who don't know exactly where they're going to get the next meal because out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. There are 168 hours in a week, 24 hours in a day, 60 times 24 is 1,440 minutes in a day. Can we take some of them, just a, a mere fraction of your day, to bless someone else Because out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus makes this stunning announcement about who he is and then offers something that's meant to be true of who we are. I'll give MLK the last word. Same sermon. Love has within it a redemptive power. And there's a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition period, but just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love. It's redemptive. That's why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There's something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love, love, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Amen? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Christ cried out on that day, the Feast of Tabernacle, to that thirsty world, let anyone who's thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. So come to the table in this virtual way today. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, crackers and juice, bread and wine, receive the goodness of Jesus Christ. If you're not at that place in life or faith, if you wouldn't count yourself a Christian, this isn't meant to be awkward or coercive or manipulative. I'd love to hear from you and some of the questions you have and maybe hesitations you're carrying. My email is john at pillarchurch.com, j-o-n at pillarchurch.com. We'll get together, take a walk. I'd love to hear your story. For those who will celebrate communion in this virtual way, the body of Christ given for you, the cup of Christ poured out for you.